Sometimes the enemy comes and he, he whispers lies in our ears that because we're struggling, maybe we're not sincere. Maybe we aren't born again. And it's the lies of the enemy. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. Well, good morning, church. We are just two Sundays away from returning back to our new normal, coming back into a newly remodeled building, coming back to our old schedule, coming back to a brand new children's building, remodeled preschool space, a totally renovated adult Sunday school classroom so we can have safe distancing in our small groups, all prepared for us to return back to what is now known as the new normal. We also, kicking off in October, on October the 4th, that Sunday, will be our first Sunday indoors. And the Wednesday after, on the 7th, we'll be having a Wednesday night midweek service. We'll be offering a meal on Wednesday nights, 5.30 to about 6.15. Then from 6.30 to 7.30, all will gather together, all the adults will gather for a midweek worship service right here in the sanctuary. So thank you for your patience, and thank you for your prayers And thank you for your faithfulness during this long season that we've known as a pandemic. The beautiful thing is God is still God and he's still on his throne. We still are the body of Christ and we continue to gather together, whether it was outdoors uh, for Saturday night lawn chair church or whether it's indoors now in October, we get to gather as the corporate body of Christ. And so I want to invite you to put that on your calendar. And if you can join us, that you would be here to help us launch that new normal. Well, today we're going to look in the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles, you can start turning over the book of Luke. And what we're going to look in on is the reality that we, when we were born in this world, our life story began, a journey uh, called life. But we discover in John chapter 3, as Jesus taught Nicodemus, that there is a spiritual journey that God desires for us. He told Nicodemus, if you've only been born once, all you have is a life story and a lifetime. But if you've been born a second time, you have eternal life, an eternal story. And as we go through this life story, heading for eternity, the journey is empty apart from Christ. The journey that we take just in the natural world, just in our physical birth, is an empty life, separated from a holy God. And yet we're going to see today that God has so much more for your life, a specific divine purpose. And that can only be experienced as you experience a new chapter in that story, a point in your timeline where you trust Christ to save you from your sin and to change all things new. As we go on this journey with God, we need to understand that it isn't just a walk in the park. You know, when I first experienced Christ back in 1981 and he changed my life, I thought that I would now be a super saint just like you that all of my struggles would go away, that life would be simple now, the things that I used to wrestle with, I would no longer have a problem, and I would be a super saint. Maybe you thought the same thing as well. And now you look at the reality that it is actually a struggle. And some people get confused in the middle of that struggle. Sometimes the enemy comes and he, he whispers lies in our ears that because we're struggling, maybe we're not sincere. Maybe we aren't born again. And it's the lies of the enemy. There are many ups and downs. There's highs and lows. And what I call a spiritual ongoing tug of war. You remember playing tug of war back in the day when you were a kid? Well, here there's a picture of adults because it doesn't change. 
In the physical world, we did it as kids. In the spiritual realm, we do it every day. There's a spiritual tug of war that happens inside of us. Our journey of faith isn't a game. But if you remember in tug of war, the goal was to pull the other team into a mud pit. And that's how you won. Well, the enemy wants to pull you and I into a pit. He wants to distract you in your faith. He wants to uh, destroy your confidence in who God is. And he wants to write new chapters, destructive chapters in your story. There is a tug of war that happens. And he wants to pull you either into the pit of religion. If he can get you in that pit and just get you satisfied with a religious life like Pharisees and Sadducees and the people that Jesus uh, dealt with in the New Testament, he's happy to get you there. If he can't get you there, he'll get you in the pit of your own rebellion and maybe self-righteousness, or it could be uh, just the rebellion of sin, and he pulls you into that pit. Either way, he wants to pull you away from your journey with a holy God. Well, we're going to see that model today, and we're going to learn that God is always faithful to see us through the struggle, that the struggle is real, and the struggle is universal. We all deal with that same struggle every single day. But as we go through the struggle, God is the one who deepens our faith and stretches our faith, but sees us through faithfully. I'm confident that he who began a good work in me and a good work in you, our God is the one who will complete it. We have a case study today. If you turn to Luke chapter 22, we're going to see the example of Peter's life story. The battle and the tug of war that went on in his life and how Jesus delivered him through the tug of war. Let's take a look at it. Let's start in verse 31. Now, you know this verse very well. It's where Jesus is warning Peter about the battle he's waging inside his soul. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Notice he just doesn't say, Peter, listen, let me tell you something. He's Simon, Simon, that urgency. And, and when that name's repeated, you remember when you're mom or your dad used to do that and you knew you were in trouble? Uh, it's that affirmation of trying to get your attention and trying to wake you up and, 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 and let you know how serious the moment is. Simon, Simon, listen, be aware, be on the alert. What? Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, you will strengthen your brothers. As we look in on this warning that Jesus brings to Peter, we see that Jesus is eternally committed to our journey. He is the author of our faith. He begins it. And he is the finisher of our faith. He's our completer. And he will see us to the end. I used to think that it was up to me. That I, now that I was saved, I had to make sure I didn't mess it up and that I didn't waste it and that I didn't blow it. And I had to work really, really hard to keep my salvation. No, Jesus is the one who grants salvation. It's a gift. It's a gift that he gives to us. But it's a gift that he also guards. And he will complete the work that he's begun in you. Notice what he says here. He says, Peter, I'm praying for you right now. Know that while you're going to go through this radical tug of war, while you're going to get drugged towards that pit, I want you to know I'm already praying for you. I want you to underline that in your Bible or mark it in your notes. And I want you to draw that same confidence to know that that same Jesus who's on his throne today is doing the very same thing for you and for me. That as we go through our daily tug of wars, as the enemy's trying to tug us one way and as the Spirit of God is leading us another way, 
that the Lord Jesus, your high priest, is praying you through the battle, through the struggle. That was something that Peter would have to learn. Even though he didn't know that war was happening, it was taking place. Jesus already saw it, and Jesus was seeing him through it. Look at verse 33. But he said to him, Lord, with you, I'm ready to go both to prison and death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. As we look in on these verses, we see Peter, who looks rather arrogant in this moment, but really is a picture of who we are often. We all are blinded by the battle at times. There are times that we have way too much confidence in where we are spiritually and And maybe not as alert as we need to be. You see, Peter doesn't realize he has a problem. He thinks everything's going well. But I give you this caution. Number one, what we learn from this, it's hard to see when we're coasting. I want to caution you right now. And I've been cautioned this week as I've put this message together to to really take a look around. Be more alert. to, To take a a, a deeper look at the battle or the struggles that may or may not be going on that I need to be aware of. That I don't just assume all is well, but I'm more alert. A second caution is to understand that we all have blind spots. There are areas we can't see that the Spirit of God sees and will point out to us if we have an ear to hear and a heart to receive. You've been in your car before, I'm assuming, changing lanes and And at that last moment, almost wrecking into somebody in your blind spot that you did not see, even though a mirror tried to give you a limited look, there was that one spot where you just couldn't see that car approaching from the side. Well, that's happening for Peter right now in this story, and it happens in your story and mine from time to time. We all have blind spots. But notice this, Jesus is always there to give us a wake-up call. He tries to wake up Peter in this moment, and he says, Peter, and understand this, Satan wants you right now. I think we need to be reminded that there is a spiritual battle that takes place. And we can't see it with the physical eyes, but we experience it every day. And we always wonder how the enemy uh, maybe tripped us up in that moment, or how he got an advantage in our chapter that day. And it was a blind spot, or perhaps we weren't listening. But I promise you, if you'll listen to your shepherd He will show you where the enemy is attacking. Notice Jesus said he wants to sift you like wheat. In other words, he wants to see what you're made out of. He wants to reveal this issue in your life right now. And as he reveals it and as he starts pulling you towards that pit in this tug of war, I want you to understand, Peter, I'm going to see you through. I'm praying you through this moment. Now, why did Satan get an opportunity to sift Peter like wheat? Well, there were some things that were going on in Peter's life that needed to be dealt with. And the Lord allowed this sifting to take place. Notice Peter's response, and you'll start to see his problem. He said to Jesus, uh, Jesus, you're wrong. Jesus, you don't understand. I would die for you. I would never deny you. I, and he goes with all these I statements, I, I, I. You see, Peter was claiming to be strong for God, and he really thought he was. And Peter really believed in his heart at that moment that he was probably the greatest of all the disciples, that he was the strongest, the most dependable, and after all, he was one of Jesus' inner circle. Uh, Obviously, he was a strong, committed follower of Jesus. You may feel the same way at times. I remember when I first got saved, I thought, there's nobody on planet Earth that loves you more than I do, Lord. 
And we can be in those moments where we feel strong and yet we don't see a spiritual weakness. A point where we say, I know I can do it, or I'll do it for you, God. If you'll forgive me one more time, God, I won't fail you. I will do better this time. I will be a devoted follower. I, I, I. And that's the wrong place to come from. Peter had to learn that. That it wasn't in his strength, but it would be in his surrender that he finds strength. Do you remember the first sin in the Bible? If you think back on that, and we've talked about this before, most people, when you say the first sin in the Bible, the very first thing they think of is the garden. I think of Adam and Eve's disobedience, and, and we see them sinning. It's the first sin on earth, but it's not the first sin in the Bible. You say, well, what's the first sin? Well, the first sin, if you take a look at it, goes all the way back into heaven. Lucifer, who would be cast down to this earth, who we know by the name of Satan, Lucifer, the choir director of heaven, looked in the mirror and saw how glorious he was. He was a beautiful creation of God. He looked around, he saw God getting all the worship, and in that moment, he led a rebellion in heaven saying, why does God get all the worship? I want some of that. And so we find that the very first sin is the root of all sin. The very first sin was not in the garden, it was in Lucifer's response of heaven. It's the issue of pride. We're going to see that again. Go to verse 24. We're there in Luke. Go back to verse 24 now. Just back up a little ways and see what happened before Jesus confronts Peter. Here's what was taking place. It says in verse 24 that the disciples were having an argument. There arose a dispute among them. The 12 who were supposed to be unified and walking with God and serving God are actually bickering and fighting and having a dispute. You ever notice any disputes in the church? Yeah. Happened on Jesus' watch. Happened on his uh, body of believers that he poured his life into. And that happens in the body of Christ still today. And as they were having their dispute, what were they fighting over? It says they were disputing among which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest disciple. So as we look in on Peter's tug of war... We see where the enemy begins to engage in our hearts to lead us into a pit or a ditch. The very first thing he does is he appeals to our pride, the spirit of pride. Pride is the root of all sin. And if you look at the word pride, what's the middle letter of pride? It's the letter I. And that's our problem. We are the problem. I am the problem. Anytime that I think that I'm self-sufficient, or that I'm in a good place, I'm probably at a very weak place. Anytime I get to that point like Peter, Lord, I'd never deny you. Lord, I'd never do this. Lord, I'd never betray you. Lord, I would never coast in my faith. Lord, I'm okay. I, I, I is the root and the beginning of a fall into a pit. Peter allowed that pride to set up in his heart. And as we look into this story, we get some pride alerts. If you ever wake up and you say in your heart, I got this. If you ever say, I can do this. If you ever say, I would never do that. I, 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 there's your pride alert. Peter is going to learn this the hard way, but he's still convinced, I can do this. And Lord, I'm going to be your strongest and greatest disciple. I, I, I. Well, let's see where that leads. There's a progression. There's that slow pulling on the rope that inch by inch by inch pulls you into the pit. Let's watch what happens next. Go to verse 39. Luke chapter 22, 
verse 39. And he came out, Jesus speaking, and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. The disciples also followed him, and when he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus continues now, speaking to all the disciples, continues to remind them, be alert. Understand that this isn't a game. Understand that daily, moment by moment, every single day, the enemy is seeking for a way to destroy you through temptation. Pray. Be alert. Seek the strength from heaven above. Verse 41. Jesus withdrew from them a stone's throw and knelt down, and he began to pray, saying, Father... If you are willing, remove the cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus also knew that he needed to depend on strength from heaven in this moment, emptying himself of his uh, divine uh, nature, so to speak, or in this moment, all the resources of heaven. He was also the son of man. He also had flesh, and he had a need, and so he cried out for the strength of his father. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples, and he found them fervently praying together and praying against the enemy and seeking the favor of God and praying that God would protect them from all evil. Is that how it reads? No, sadly, he found them in a whole different posture. He found them coasting. He found them sleeping right there. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up, pray that you may not enter in temptation, into temptation. Now we see where pride leads. Pride says, I got this. Pride says, I'm good, right like I am. I, I'm not going to be tempted. I'm not going to deny you, Lord. I can handle this. I'm not going to deal with this battle in my life today. I'm okay. I'm strong enough. And I just need to catch up on some sleep. The second phase pride will lead to is a spiritual slumber. It's being asleep on the job. It's becoming so comfortable that we just kind of take a spiritual nap and, and we assume that all is well. We lose our urgency and our dependence on God. We've been ministering. We've been doing this in God's name. We've had victories here and there. And I love the Lord and the Lord knows I love him. And, and I just need to... Take some time out. Ephesians 5. You can hold your place there in, in Luke. Ephesians 5, verses 13 through 15. Listen to what Paul had to warn the church. He gave them an alert as well. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, Scripture says, Awake, sleeper. Arise from dead. In other words, you ever... You ever known somebody that could sleep like a log and it almost looked like they're dead and they could sleep through anything? That's what was happening with the disciples that, that night in the garden. And Scripture says we need to awake from our slumber. We need to awake from that spiritual deadness in our hearts and in our walk with God. And Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. In this moment in Peter's story... This chapter, he's not walking in wisdom. He's not listening to the voice of God and the cautions of God. He's walking in his own strength. That's very unwise. And in his walk, he will walk right into the ditch as he experiences this tug of war. Let's see where it goes next. Go back to Luke 22 and take a look at verse 47. 
Luke 22 and verse 47. While Jesus was still speaking, behold, a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike him with the sword? And one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Stop! No more of this! He touched the ear and he healed him. As we look in on this, we see this progression. Inch by inch, Peter's being dug, drug into the pit. It started with the issue of pride. I'm the greatest disciple. I'll never betray you. I got this, Lord. Then it leads to this time in the garden where now he is comfortable and he's coasting and he's napping. And that slumber now leads to stage three, fleshly living. He now goes back to his natural way of living rather than the supernatural call of God on his life. He now relies on his natural reactions rather than the teachings of a supernatural God. And pretty soon what we notice is what started in pride, what led to a season of coasting, now we find ourselves just living naturally like everybody else. We find ourselves thinking about things we shouldn't be thinking, doing things we thought we would never do. It happened in Peter's life. It happened in King David's life. It's happened in my life, and it may be happening in your life right now. And so we look in on this story, and now they wake up from their slumber. Now they're surrounded, surrounded by a crowd, a mob, that's come to arrest Jesus and eventually put him on a cross. Peter turns to his natural resources. He's going to be the greatest disciple in this moment. He's going to be strong for Jesus, and he draws out his sword. How do we know it was Peter? This one who is unnamed, the one who struck with the sword, it was Peter. And in that moment, Peter did the exact opposite of what Jesus had been teaching. You remember what we studied last week? Earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus taught his disciples, not just love your neighbor, but even love your enemy. When they strike you on the cheek, turn your other cheek. When they come to take something from you, give to them. Jesus taught a whole different way. He didn't teach them that they were to strike back with a sword. But it's interesting how Peter responds in that moment. He's been taught well. He's heard Jesus teach to love your enemy. But in this moment, he returns back to a fleshly way of living. And that can happen to you as well. And it may be happening for you right now in your life. How do we get there? Trace it back. We start to coast. We start to coast because we think we got this. We're strong enough for God. We love the Lord. All is well. We'd never do those things. And then I think we can even actually be selective in our hearing. You remember when Jesus taught about loving your enemy, he said, you know, I know you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, it would be very easy for Peter in this moment to say, Lord, I heard you. I know we're supposed to love our enemies. You talked about the eyes, the tooth. You didn't say anything about the ears. See how easy it is to be selective in our hearing? How fleshly we can be, even though we love God, we could still surrender to the lies of our flesh. Well, let's go back to Luke chapter 22. Let's see where this leads to next. He now has done what he shouldn't have done, contrary to God's teaching and God's will and God's ways. Verse 54. Jesus, 
Now having been arrested, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. Do you see the progression? Earlier that night, he told Jesus, Jesus, I'll be by your side through thick or thin. I would take, I would take a, a sword for you. I would take a cross for you. I'd die for you. Lord, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never deny you. Just a few hours later, because he's been coasting spiritually, because he's been asleep on the job, because he has blind spots, issue of pride, he now begins to follow at a distance, to blend into the background, to become like one of the crowd, to kind of just fade in with the rest of the community, following at a distance. And you know, as we've gone through these last six months, I've noticed that this reality that happened in Peter's life seems to be happening in a very prevalent way in many people's, many believers' hearts today. That there are many who love God, there are many who pray to God, but I've noticed that there are many who've become very comfortable sheltering at home, not gathering with the saints, being more comfortable, uh, just doing it on my own. I got this. I'm okay. I'd rather worship in my pajamas. Man, hadn't that been awesome at times? And we start to neglect the spiritual disciplines of a faith, the will of God of not forsaking the assembling of the brethren. Now, there are some you can't gather because of a health condition, and that's a different story. But if we're not careful, we can allow COVID restrictions and safe distancing and sheltering at home to lead to a dangerous distancing spiritually. That just like Peter, we can start to distance ourselves from the presence of God and the will of God. Well, as we go through those challenges, that's real. And that's a real challenge for many right now that they're struggling with. But we have to remember, we're not called to respond in what is comfortable. And we're not called to live naturally. God calls us to respond supernaturally. To awake from our sleep and to let Christ shine through us. Well, let's take a look at the rest of the story. Go back to Luke 22 now, verse 55. He's now falling at a safe distance. He doesn't completely reject the Lord, but he's trying to play it safe. After they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight, looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. He denied it. He said, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. Peter said, Man, I am not. He denies him a second time. After about an hour had passed, can you imagine sitting there in the shadows, seeing Jesus being mocked, eventually knowing what was coming? knowing that this was probably the end of everything that he had poured his life into. That everything was unraveling before his very eyes. And he's already denied Christ two times. Doing what he thought he would never do. Doing what he declared would never, ever happen. And twice he's denied Jesus. He's sitting there among them. He's sitting there in the shadows. Time is going by. The Holy Spirit pounding on his heart and convicting him of his sin. About an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. 
Now, in Luke's version, it's cleaned up, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. I believe it's John's gospel in another uh, account of this very story, literally that third time, Peter would curse the name of Jesus, trying to prove to the crowd that he's just like them. No, he's not one of the followers of Christ. A third time, he does what he thought he would never do. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. We watch Peter fall into the pit, inch by inch by inch, pride to slumber, to fleshly living, to following at a distance. And now he falls into the pit, denying publicly that he's a follower of Christ. How did he get there? Inch by inch by inch. How did he do what he thought he would never do? He gave up ground. And instead of looking to God, instead of being dependent on his strength and his power, he thought he could win the war in his own strength. And now he wakes up and he's in a pit. You see, it doesn't matter what we profess, our talk. What matters is our walk. What matters is what comes out of our life and how we walk this journey of faith. Peter said all the right things in the very beginning. I'll never let you down. I would die for you. I would never give in. And then in his walk, he denies him three times, even cussing and cursing the name of Jesus. People are watching. And as we live out our story, chapter by chapter by chapter, people are reading our book. They're watching our story unfold before their very eyes. And the question is, Are we living the truth we've been declaring? It's not enough just to know the right Sunday school answers. It's not not just enough to say the right words and declare, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a Christian. What really matters is what comes out of our life. 2 Timothy. Turn over to 2 Timothy very quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 3. Paul warned Timothy about the very days in which you and I live, the last days. He said this to Timothy, he said, realize this, Timothy, that in the last days, difficult times will come. I think all of us realize that those days are here. I can't say exactly when Jesus is returning, I just know we're closer than we've ever been. I know we must be in the last days, for we live in very difficult times. And then I see verse 2 being lived out before our very eyes, more dramatically so than maybe any other time in human history. For it was prophesied here by Paul that men in those days will be lovers of self. There's that pride again. There's that issue of instead of loving God and seeking God in his ways, we're more committed to loving our own ways and our own agendas. That men would be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips. Lacking self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Watch this, verse 5, look at it. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Peter wakes up and finds himself in a place he thought he'd never be. Maybe... Maybe as you're listening to this message this morning, you're waking up as well. 
Maybe your eyes are opening up to the reality that, that I've got my own blind spots. The enemy is sifting me like wheat. Maybe you feel like you've fallen into a pit in your walk with God and in your journey of faith. What, what do you do next? What do you do with that? Do you give up? Do you cave in? Do you quit? Maybe you realize you're not where you need to be emotionally or relationally or spiritually. What do you do? You say, well, I guess I lost. Maybe God doesn't love me anymore. Let's learn from Peter. Go back to Luke chapter 22. And the good news is, while we may fall into the pit, while we may be pulled in the wrong direction for a period of time, God will complete the work that he began in you. Watch God do it in Peter's life. Luke chapter 22, verse 61. Remember where we left off, Peter has just cussed Jesus. He has cursed his name. He has declared he's not a follower of Christ. And in that moment, as those words are spilling out and spewing out of his mouth and his heart, verse 61, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. This wasn't done away from the hearing of Jesus. It was done right there where Jesus could hear it and Jesus could see it. And there he sees Peter, the one he's invested in and poured his life into, one of, one of the inner three that he's especially equipped for times like this. He's now cursing his name. What a betrayal. First it was Judas with 30 pieces of silver and a kiss. Now it's Peter cursing his name. Can you imagine the pain of that moment? And Jesus looked at Peter. Now I want you to understand, it's obvious when we read the rest of this passage, Jesus responded just like he had preached earlier. The words that Peter had heard when Jesus said, when somebody betrays you, turn the other cheek. When somebody is hostile towards you, when they say rude or crude or mean things, love them. When people do cruel things to us or betray us, we'll give them a look, but it's not the same look that Jesus gives. We'll give that squinted eye. We'll give that popped vein. We'll let them know how disgusted we are with them and what they've done to us. But look at the beautiful moment between Jesus and Peter. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. I want you to notice Jesus' response. Jesus still loved Peter. He didn't turn his back on Peter. He didn't say, if you're going to deny me, I deny you. No, he turned his gaze towards the one who just betrayed him. And he looked at him with the eyes that only Jesus can bring. Eyes of compassion. Eyes of love, unconditional love. Eyes of mercy and grace. In that moment, as they looked across that campfire into each other's eyes, Peter received the love of God in that moment and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And he remembered. He remembered that confrontational moment when Jesus spoke in his life, but lovingly said, Peter, no, I'm praying for you, and I'm praying you through your tug of war, and you will be fine, and you will repent, and you will return, and I will use you to strengthen the brethren. And all of a sudden in that moment, he awoke from his sleep. 
in the light of God's conviction shown in his heart. And he got up out of the pit and he went away from that moment and he repented and wept bitterly. I want you to see Peter's response. It's different from Judas. You see, Judas felt sorry and ashamed, but Peter repented in brokenness. Judas tried to return the money, tried to make amends for what he had done wrong, but Peter returned the Lord and realized, I failed you, Lord, and just confessed it as sin. There's a difference between a worldly sorrow like Judas had and a godly sorrow like Peter had that led to repentance. Judas tried to make it right, tried to fix it in his own strength, and ultimately quit. He would take his life that night. Peter allowed the Lord to complete the work that Jesus had begun in him. You see, Judas had never been born again. Jesus had been a part of the group. Jesus, or Judas had heard Jesus' teaching. But Judas had never given his heart. We know through Scripture, and we've looked at it before, that he was a son of perdition. That he had only been born physically, but he had never been born spiritually. There was no life, no journey to complete, because he had never allowed Jesus to save him from his sin. Peter was a different story. He allowed the Lord to complete that work in him, and that led to a spirit of brokenness. How do you respond when you find yourself in a pit? How do you respond when you finally wake up and realize, I've been sleeping on the job, I've been coasting spiritually? And maybe during this COVID season, this has been a time of purging, a time of stretching, a battle waging emotionally and spiritually. And maybe today is a turning point. Maybe, like Peter, you need to experience brokenness before the Lord. Let me show you the beauty of brokenness, how to get out of that pit. I put this verse on the screen, Psalm 34, verses 17 through 18. It says, the righteous cry, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. It, it, it's a picture of if somebody has just been pulled in a tug-of-war game into a mud pit. And he talks about in their time of trouble, when they're in that pit, he is the one that delivers them out. He pulls them out of where they've been. Look at verse 18. For the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. That night, Peter was a broken man. All of a sudden, earlier when he was so proud and so arrogant and so strong, now as he's fallen into this pit, as he's been sifted like wheat, he realizes, like Paul said, there's nothing good that dwells in me. Lord, I failed you. Lord, I fell into the pit. And God, he wept bitterly, forgive me. And in that moment, he received grace and mercy. And God pulled him out of that pit. And God would use Peter to preach the very first sermon. And he would raise him up to be the rock that was prophesied. For his name, Peter, in the Greek, means rock. This man that crumbled before a crowd in his brokenness, would experience the strength of God. I brought an illustration that I think speaks to this issue of brokenness. This is a, a vessel. It could be a cookie jar. It could be something you just store something in. And I don't know if you can see on camera, but this accidentally fell off a desk and 
actually shattered. I put it all back together again and did the best to kind of get it back to where it could be useful again. And some would say, you wasted your time. This vessel is no longer useful. It's broken. And that's what may be true naturally. But in the kingdom of God and supernaturally, that's the biggest lie ever. If I was to put this out on a table at a garage sale, could I sell this for I probably couldn't sell it for five cents. People would come by and they'd see the broken pieces that are missing and see what once used to be useful is now considered of no value. I don't think anybody would ever buy this at a garage sale. Let me show you something powerful and something beautiful about brokenness. That in our brokenness, the enemy would try to lie to you and me and say, you're worthless now. You're broken. You're of no value. You failed. You lost. You you ended up in a pit. Brokenness. Psalm 34 says, The law, the Lord draws near to the brokenhearted. And it's the Lord who delivers us, and it's the Lord who puts us back together again. And yet, in our brokenness, I want you to see something. If we could dim the lights. The Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, the Lord God Almighty, that in our brokenness, as God puts all the pieces back together again, as the Lord is allowed to work in our life again, as we weep bitterly over our sin and our brokenness and say, God, I'm a broken man. God, I've I've failed in this moment, but Lord, forgive me. God, I cry out to you, and Lord, I give you all the pieces. It's interesting, the fairy tale of Humpty Dumpty. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put him back together again. But I want you to know the king of kings, that's a different story. The king of kings will put the pieces all back together again. The Bible says we can be a useful vessel to the master. And I want you to understand, when we awake from our sleep, like it said in Ephesians, God will shine again, and he will shine through your life. And he shines through the brokenness. Would you pray with me this morning with every head bowed, with every eye closed? At a garage sale, this vessel would be considered worthless. And the kingdom of God, priceless. And maybe what we need right now more than anything else is not a vaccine to fix a virus. Is not being able to see us return back to what life used to be like before COVID. Maybe we need, like Peter, to enter into a season of brokenness. A time where we weep over our sin, our pride, our casual Christianity. Say, God, forgive us. God, forgive me. If that's your response today, would you just... Talk to God, just like Peter did. Turn from your sin and declare your need for him to fill you with the Spirit to forgive you. might be that you're worshiping online with us today and you're an empty vessel. You've never been filled with the grace and forgiveness of God. You've never looked to him. You thought that it was either a do's and don'ts that got you there or, or the fact that you're a member of a church or, or, or maybe you don't even need a God. You're fine just like you are. Maybe God would speak to you today and say, no, you need to be saved. 
I want to fill you with my love, my grace. And maybe you need to open the door of your heart and invite Jesus into your life. If that's you right where you are, you could call on Jesus' love right now and say, God, I admit I'm a sinner. And God, I give you my empty life. I open the door of my heart. And Lord, I invite you in right now. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. The Bible says that if that was your decision just now, a holy God has come to fill you with his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. And you now are a new vessel, a new creature. If you have a prayer request today, or if you want to declare that you've trusted Christ, would you reach out to our online pastor? Would you just, in the chat box, just... Type in there what God's done in your life today. We want to rejoice with you. We want to celebrate. I'd love to hear what God's saying to you today. You can also email us if you'd like to at ministry at pcbc.tv. Would you please let us know? It's, I know there are many who are dealing with what God's saying to them. And because we're not in a room together, we don't get to know what God's We want to celebrate with you. Take some time today and reach out to us and let us know how we can pray for you, how we might serve with you in the days ahead. Well, know this, as you well know, and we often say, God loves you, and so do we. See you soon. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.